What's up, everybody? I'm Nolan Tuck. Stacy Glover. You're listening to Cinema Parlor. Stacy, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there as well. Uh, yeah, you know, it's that time of year. Getting ready to have some nice feasting going this week. Mm-hmm. It's always fun to just get fat. That's Aww. what I say. You know, be mindful. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Eat more carbs. Mm, carb up. Uh, so what's new, man? How you been? I've been good. Busy, busy time of year, you know? Yeah, for sure. What are you drinking over there? I am drinking some Crown and Coke. A classic. A classic indeed. Very tasty. Had a few already. Okay. Feel pretty good. So you're feeling good? All right. ready to go? Yeah. Okay. Have I told you that you're a classic, like a little black dress? Thank you. Mm -hmm. I hopefully... By the way, if this gets interrupted for any reason, we are under a tornado watch. Oh, sweet. Until, well, the time has no meaning here, but till long after we will be done with this, hopefully. Well, if we make it, so will the podcast. What are you drinking? All right, <laughs> I'm drinking a, a new drink for me tonight. This is called a bourbon cider. Uh, this has Maker's Mark bourbon in it, has... Hard cider, a few, uh, you know, dashes of bitters, uh, and a tablespoon of sugar, and it is very tasty. Uh, it's probably going to get me feeling good fast. How about that? Very nice. Mm. How yes. many uh, How many Thanksgivings do you have on the docket this year? Only one. Only one? Yeah. So, I'm having uh, my Thanksgiving at my parents' house, my sisters will be there, and my aunt will be there. I think my dad's going to pick her up this week, so... You're not even stopping in for Friendsgiving? Well, I guess two, technically, then, at uh, one of our friends' house, so I'll probably stop in there in the morning. You know, more meals the merrier. Yeah, that's what I say. Yeah. All right. So, what what have you been up to lately? What you been watching, playing, yeah. reading? Been, uh... Been watching a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. We've both, I think, been watching quite a bit of Martin Scorsese films lately, yes. trying to get ready for The the Irishman, which I will talk about also in a second. But leading up to that, I would like to say that I rewatched uh, the new 4K of Casino the other day. This is a UHD new 4K disc, and it looks fantastic. Anyone seeking out Casino, if you've never seen it, I think it's one of Scorsese's better films. I did a top three power ranking of casinos, uh, of Casino for me. Uh, number one being De Niro's Suit Game. Number two being Sharon Stone's Dress Game. And number three being uh, Pesci's, uh, you know, road trip in the desert to in the, and his, uh, mm. anyway, uh, love the movie. Have you seen it in a while? Uh, it's been some years, um... And yeah, probably at least ten years. I I liked it. I it's probably one I've only seen like two or three times. Yeah, but I I do recall liking it quite a bit. Yeah, uh, big fan of that. I rewatched The Departed the other day. Um, I'm I'm probably in the minority, and that's not one of my favorite of his. I still like it to some degree. Um, but it's I it's lesser for me than kind of his other. I feel like gangster a films. lot of people think that that film for him was like. 
the Academy giving him an Oscar because he's been boned so many times. I, I like that movie. I, I think it's well done entertainment. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's definitely entertaining for me. Uh, I just, yeah, I guess I just don't like it as much it as some moves. of his others. It does move. That's one thing about it for sure. And you know, what doesn't move a film I watched by him. Okay. New York, New York. Okay. That feels like the longest movie ever made. We okay. we recently covered Lawrence of Arabia, which mm-hmm. is close to four hours. This film is only a little over, I think it's two hours and 40 minutes, but it felt like two or three times longer than Lawrence. Okay. Lawrence is a beautiful film that moves. New York, New York, not so much. It uh, It's weird. And you would think a movie that has like the stamp of cocaine all over it, that it would be more entertaining and move a lot quicker. And it is just so poorly edited and conceived and it's a musical that's like harkening back to this golden age of cinema so even before like the rogers hammerstein stuff and you know like west side story and like you know those big pop musicals from the 50s and 60s this is more of like the 30s 40s mgm 42nd street type stuff um that he's you know kind of calling back to and it seems like it has no interest in musical numbers long spats of the film go by without a musical number and then the last, like, 30 minutes, you're given, like, five of them. Okay. And there's not really much, like, they're not particularly shot well, which you know Scorsese can shoot music well. I mean, all of his concert films that he's done, his music mm-hmm. documentaries, and just his use, use of pop music in his popular films, sure. right? And this one, man, it is just, it lulls, and it's it's a very, like, badly conceived, like, Star is Born type story. Um because, I mean, that movie had been remade at least once by the time that this one came out. Maybe twice. I don't I don't remember when the, you know, Barbara Streisand one came yeah, out. Yeah, I think but, it had been made a couple but, times. But, you know, still, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know what was going on with this movie, man. This was a time in the 70s where musicals were kind of coming back. You know, you have Grease and stuff, which is more of a pop one. You had, like, Star is Born. You had um, Cabaret. Mm-hmm. You know, some big-time movies. And, yeah, this one was just, uh, oof. I, I'm interested for you to watch it so we can talk because maybe you'll absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in it. Um, it's definitely one of those movies. I mean, I've heard yourself and others not like it. And then I've also heard other people I very much respect their opinions say that they love the movie. So I'm definitely interested in it. I was um, hoping yeah. to love it. Sure. I I hope to love all films that I watch. Sure. So, yeah, it's one I will get to at some point. Um, when, I don't know, but I will get to it at some point. So, outside of Scorsese, what else have you been up to? Yeah, so, uh, some other stuff I've been watching here. Um, I watched the new uh, Pedro Almodovar film. This is called Pain and Glory. Uh, this stars uh, the great Antonio Banderas in probably one of his best roles I have ever seen. I mean, I think he's a great actor. He hasn't really done much in the last number of years. No, he's kind of been yeah. absent from the limelight. So it's kind of nice to have him back. And he was all I. He was also in um, another movie I recently watched, which I was not as high on. That would be uh, Steven Soderbergh's uh, The Laundromat. He plays a small part in that as well. So he's kind of in two movies this uh, this fall season. But anyway, Pain and Glory, I would highly recommend. Um, it's a autobiographical work from Almodovar, and basically Banderas is. Not only his muse, but is playing a version of Almodovar himself. And so, 
yeah, this movie is just excellent, and I would uh, highly recommend it. So if you get it, if it's around you or whenever it gets on demand or whatever, seek it out. Yeah, and that's uh, like his uh, eight and a half, right? Yeah. Th- yep. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, that no. sounds cool. I, I want to see that one. Yeah, and then uh, one other one I'll I'll talk about for a second here. Um, it's another one I don't think you've seen. Uh, I I watched a cruising by William Friedkin. I very much want to see it. And this I enjoyed this movie. It is. Um, it's something. <laughs> uh, there are uh, bits of it that are probably very much looked down uh, today with our culture as far as how... Um, PC? Yeah, I mean, very much. And um, the way that it, it's... It, it Basically, Pacino is a detective and there is a serial killer on the loose in New York and he is just killing gay people. Mm-hmm. And it's basically takes place in this underground kind of society where all of the gay people are into S and M. And it basically, <laughs> it basically is saying that all gay people are into S and M. Oh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> so that there is a problem in itself. Right. But as far as the film goes, it's very well shot. William Friedkin directs it. Um, it's very entertaining. And, uh, you know, Pacino is a lot of fun. I think he's, he, he's very, very good in the film. And again, uh, one I would suggest seeking out, uh, it's one of those pictures that I think is getting a little bit of a rebirth finally, because it was just recently put on Blu-ray from Arrow. And it's something that I, I think a lot of, it hadn't been very easily accessible, um, before. I feel like... Don't, on the rewatchable podcasts from, like, Bill Simmons uh-huh. stuff, don't they talk about it all the time? They have, like, they want to do they, a show on it? And I hope they do. Because yeah, I think that, that would be, be entertaining. a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, the thing that you hear about that movie is that, because that's a major studio film. Like, Friedkin at yeah. the time, I mean, I, I don't know if that came before or after Sorcerer, but, you know, before that, you know, French Connection and The Exorcist, like, that guy could do no wrong. So, to mm-hmm. make, like, a major studio film about, you know... Yeah. A gay S and M serial killer. That's uh, yeah, pretty risky. Yeah, and it all. I think it touches on some some topics also with like you know Pacino's character. It's very much playing with the masculine having also deal with a feminine side, uh-huh. and his character, I in my opinion, is very much struggling with being a straight person thrown into the scene, and then you have you know he's basically forced to act gay be, act, pretend that he's right. a gay person and he starts having relationships and he starts I think having an inner struggle with himself um, trying to f- understand if he is either bisexual or has gay tendencies himself and so mm. I think it's uh, it's an interesting picture I would I think uh, I, th- I think it would be worth your time in the audiences to check it out so All right. it's on Blu-ray it could be streaming I don't know I haven't looked but it's on Blu-ray I know <laughs> Anything Excellent. else for you, man? Uh, I've been playing some games. I'm playing uh, Control, which is Remedy's new game. Uh, it's quite wonderful. All their games are very weird. Uh, the first couple, Max Payne's, uh, Alan Wake, Quantum Break, they're they're all, you know, odd games. And I'm, I'm finding it to be a lot of fun. It's kind of got that uh, Metroidvania, Batman Arkham sort of grind to it. Uh-huh. Um I also just started the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which I'm enjoying. It uh, It's kind of a mix of Uncharted and Dark Souls. So it's got that uh, very difficult but satisfying combat. 
So I'm liking that. It's kind of cool to play a Star Wars game that's good because they make a ton of them and they're few and far between great Star Wars games. Okay. It's probably been a good at least five to ten years since we've had a good one. And that's a property that you should get good games from. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars is awesome. Yeah. One last thing I will mention. I did get to see The Irishman this week. Um, I won't talk about it much because a lot of people have not seen it. Including I haven't myself. seen it. I'll slap you. Yeah. Um, I would. I will just say uh, it's a fantastic movie and everyone should watch it. It will be hitting Netflix as we record this. Today is November 26th that I believe opens Friday on Netflix this Friday. Yeah. So but it's in limited like run yeah. theaters. So if you have like a boutique theater or whatever, yes. you know, go see it unless you don't like the boutique theater that is available to you. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, the Irishman, uh, two thumbs up from me just and uh, drunk old people. They can be an issue. Not in the Irishman. Not in the Irishman. Just audience members. Yeah. Loud, loud obnoxiousness. I prefer silence. Sure. Amongst the crowd. I, I don't know if I like his movie Silence more. <laughs> Man, but, a lot of zingers today. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 The Irishman, I, I really enjoyed. So I'll It probably feels it shorter than so. New York, New York. Hey, man. And it's like, what, four hours long? It is three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But it, it uh, talk about it. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm talk excited. About it. I, I liked it a lot. So yeah. there you go. No, I'm pumped to watch that one. There's a... A great take on the Irishman. I liked it. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Good job by you. Maybe we'll, we'll, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it more in depth a few episodes down the road. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Maybe once people have time to watch it. Yep, definitely. Including me. Yeah. Well, speaking of crime, we're doing a little uh, noir November, right? Yeah. So let's get into our main subject. Yeah. Today. So what, let the people know what you picked out and what, uh, the, the fruit that joins them. So what I've picked today, we're doing a double feature. And what we're doing for, our, we're going to talk about, uh, our first film is called Nightfall. This is directed by Jacques Tourneur. And the second film we're going to be talking about is the Coen Brothers Fargo. And so why I picked these two movies, uh, they both have the rare uh, combination of being noirs that are set in the snow, which uh, not a lot of noirs are set in the snow. And on top of that, I believe... Uh, we'll talk about this as we go, but uh, I think Nightfall definitely had some influence on the Coen brothers um, on uh, on Fargo. So uh, I thought these would be two uh, fun pictures to kind of talk about together. All right, uh, man. Yeah. You want to do it? Want to get into yeah. it? Yeah. So uh, Nightfall, 1957. <laughs> what do you like about this film? Like, let's get into it. Yeah. So this was a movie that uh, I I actually watched it for the first time. I think it would have been during around the summer, this last summer, uh, when Criterion Channel aired, uh, uh, began this last year. They One of their opening series was called Columbia Noir, and I saw this film on there. I This has been a year for me where I've really got into Jacques Tourneur. I, I think I believe, I believe I've seen five of his films this year, which and has been awesome. And this film caught me... Um, Five new films or like rewatching ones so, that you've also I would say been probably three new rewatches. Actually, for me, I call them almost all five new. I had seen Cat People and I Walked with a Zombie before, but both of those movies I'd seen where I was like kind of in and out 
um, when we, because uh, I think we'd watch those in groups. Sometimes we watch them late at night. Sometimes, you know, you get tired. And so I right. consider all five of these new rewatches, okay. new films for me this year, even though I technically had seen. So I'll put them, you know, it's like those two movies, obviously Nightfall, uh, Night of the Demon, which we both watched and I think greatly enjoyed. Phenomenal film. And then uh, also I watched uh, The Leopard Man this mm-hmm. year as well. And so uh, enjoyed all of them. Um, so anyway, uh, Nightfall was the first noir of his I've seen. I know it's not his uh, most famous or notable noir um, because I believe that would probably go to Out of the Past. Um, but this was the first one for me that I saw from him. And what I like about this movie is I, I think it's it's got typical Jock Turner, uh, uh just just his typical use of uh, things that make him him. So like basically wide shots, a lot of two shots, the way he uses shadow, his direction, um, the use of uh, long takes, uh, just everything that I love about the way he directs and shoots films, I mm-hmm. think is there. And I've really learned to, to just kind of, I fell in love with him as a director this year. So I've just, it's it's been one of my favorite things of 2019 for me awesome <laughs> so i think uh, i think this movie is very good i i, th- I don't think it's it, it's not a very complicated film um one thing i'll i'll, I'll kind of talk about as we talk about the movie is um it's it's in the it, it's kind of noir has almost passed by when this movie came out so like it it's not doing anything new with that with the genre but what i think it is doing a little bit is I think, I don't know if he gets as much credit for, but I think he is deconstructing the genre a little bit. And I'll kind of talk about some of those things, I think, that he does with that as we go on, I guess. So, your initial thoughts of the film. Oh, I, I like the movie. I just think it's, uh, I I am not as enamored with it as you are. I think it's kind of a run-of-the-mill noir for me. Um, it's one of those that, like, had I seen it on the movie channel, like, some morning... You know, I've been like, oh, I, I want to watch this. This seems interesting. Um, and I, I did like the movie. It's just, you know, nothing about it stands out terribly to me. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to undersell it. I've just... Didn't you hit know. you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's good. You liked it, but you didn't love it. Yeah. Yeah, I get it, man. It's not one I'm going to revisit a bunch. Okay. And I will say, I, this, I guess I've watched it now twice this year. So, obviously... You I wanted to talk about it, yeah. so it, it did something for me. Right. The few things I'll just say about it before we get into the, the meat of the movie here real quick. Uh, this came out a decade after Out of the Past, which is the noir he's most known for. Um, this was shot by Burnett Guffey. Mm-hmm. He also shot In a Lonely Place. I think the film looks gorgeous, in my opinion. Also, Academy Award winner for From Here to Eternity, the black and white cinematography, and shot the land or the groundbreaking film of Bonnie and Clyde. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, and then also, I, I think another thing that's interesting about this movie, as with um, in, a, um, in a Lonely Place, is these both movies kind of start out in the city and they end up moving into like the country, mm-hmm. um, which is something that kind of you don't see as often. Um, there's a film... Or there's a book uh, written by Sarah Imogen, Imogen Sarah Smith called uh, Film Noir Beyond the City, and so where she talks about these kind of things. And then the other, the last thing I'll say is uh, 
as far as snowy noirs go, as far as most people think this was probably like the second film noir set in the snow, the first being uh, by Nicholas Ray film that I am probably going to mess up. And I've got it somewhere in my notes, so maybe I'll say say what that movie is after a while. But this was, uh, from what I can tell, this was the second noir that was ever shot. You know in how to leave the audience snow. in suspense. Yeah, absolutely. You give them some crumbs to latch on to. Little hints here. See, yeah, now they're uh-huh. going to listen to the rest yeah. of our conversation because they're going to want to know. I'm, I'm a genius, you know? What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so you want to get into this thing here? Yeah, so... um. <laughs> so we have a uh, Jim Von- Varney Varney. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. His real name's not that, um, but he's played by Aldo Ray. Yeah. So um, he ends up going by basically Vanning the whole time. Vanny. Yeah, Jim Vanning. Okay. Um, and then he he meets up with this woman uh, Maria Gardner, played by Anne Bancroft. Um, she's absolutely gorgeous, uh, Mrs. Robinson. Yep, and uh, man, what do you think of Aldo Ray in this movie? I think we're gonna disagree somewhat on him because I love him. <laughs> I okay. <laughs> Here's my thing with him and Aldo Ray. He's mostly like a TV actor. Yeah, uh, probably like a lot of heavies. Yeah, um, a lot of shows like you know the Virginian and stuff like that. But um, he he was probably his biggest movie is We're No Angels with uh, Bogart and uh, uh-huh. Peter Ustinov. Um, which I've, I've seen a lot of on TV. It looks like a very fun Christmas movie, but, um, this guy looks like a GI Joe. Like he looks like the GI Joe toy that came out like in the sixties. Stout man. I have a hard time believing that this guy like is an every man who is scared of these heavies and the two heavies in this film, like one of them, you know, talks, you know, he's a smooth talker and stuff. Other one is just goofy as hell. Yeah, I mean, you've got the one guy, I think his name's John. He is a bit more um, muscular, kind of a more uh, macho type guy. And Red, uh, the other guy we'll meet, uh, he is very, like, um, just a ratty kind of dude. He's, he's swarmy, I guess yeah, would be the right word. Yeah, he's kind of gross. Yeah, um, very much just kind of a... Yeah, he's not very... It does take somewhat of a suspension... Of disbelief, especially yeah. with, with Red, because yeah, he's not a very, he's not a, a like. Just a imagine like Steve Buscemi. You're not very scared of. Imagine Steve Buscemi like bullying Arnold sure. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I to me, I think Red is probably the weakest link to the film. Um, but uh, yeah, with that being said, <laughs> give me something like give me something more sinister. Give me like a Robert Mitchum or something. Sure, yeah, I can get that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, um. They they have this uh, nice little uh, meeting, and you. I do like how you don't find out anything that's going on in the film. It just kind of unravels mm-hmm. as it peels back, and I think it's kind of cool that he uses intercutting a lot to tell his story. Right, where you're you're getting these scenes that are long scenes, but they're they're being interrupted by you know other things. You have this uh, insurance uh, detective, yeah, mm-hmm. who. You're finding out about him and his his search for, uh, you know, Vanny. Right. And this is intercutting while you're getting information about the character. And this is how they let you know, you know, what's going on with the character. You don't even find out what he's running from till about 40 minutes into the film. Yeah, that's right. And this this kind of first... uh, uh, Actually... Before I, I... I guess I... This is my fault. I didn't even give our synopsis. This is a... 
I'm just going to interrupt this real quick. This is a very small synopsis, by the way, on Letterboxd. An innocent man turns fugitive as he reconstructs events that implicates him for a murder and robbery he did not commit. So, yeah, I mean, the first hour of the film, it is just finding about out about what happened. Yeah. Um, something I did think in the bar scene where he is meeting Anne Bancroft for the first time, I thought that the dialogue was a little stilted. Like it, it almost felt like, like this is how these type of movies are supposed to sound. Uh-huh. It, it, I don't know. It just didn't feel natural. And like, for me, he, he is more like Lenny from of mice and men than Bogart. So hearing like this dialogue come from him, it, it just didn't work for me. It, 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 he it. sounded silly. He did not seem very smart. Well, that's fair. Um, I will say with their relationship, um, I I grew with their relationship. I, I found them to be a compelling uh, couple and have chemistry as the film moved along. I was with you as far as it took me a little bit to get into their relationship, um, but I did like the relationship as the film moved. What do you think about... So this whole meeting between them is basically them trying to arrange a one-night stand. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what do you think about that? Like, for the time period, you know, in the 50s, yeah. you're still, like, during, like, the code. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And just to blatantly be out there with, yep. like, this is a hookup. Yeah, this this is actually an interesting movie when thinking of it with the code because there is some, you know, pretty intense stuff as far as, like, suggested deaths and... Yeah as you said, contested relationships and menace. Yeah, no, definitely. I I felt the same way. So one thing I like about this opening scene, and as I, I guess I go ahead and talk about my first thought of the deconstruction of the noir, the noir genre is we get uh, Marie here and she is actually not a femme fatale. So she's basically just a lady being honest with him Mm -hmm. that she left her wallet. She, she, doesn't have any money. But they set it up like she's a femme They fatale. set it up like she's a femme fatale, but she doesn't end up being. We, we get that pretty... Like, we understand that fairly early on in the film that, um, you know... Well, she, as far as her interactions she is. in the film, uh-huh. it's like, what, 30, 35 minutes yeah. before he goes back to her. Yeah, for sure. So that's one thing I, I like about the movie, that uh, that's one deconstruction I'll go with. So, so during their soiree out, these two heavies, they find him and they tell her like oh thanks for you know slowing him down or whatever and we'll take it from here yeah and she leaves thinking that they're cops yeah and so they take him out to uh this mining you know field yep asking him where this money is buried that's the whole uh, mcguffin of uh what's going on one of really it is the main... I mean, other than the very end, this is our main, like, action set piece of the film. Uh-huh. Is in this, like, kind of oil rig area. And I think it's well shot. There's there's some a nice yeah, little uh, fight scene between the two thugs and Vanning. Yeah, I, I, I had that written down, too. The, the fight scene was really good. Um, and then once he, he's coming, you know, in the car and stuff, you get these flashbacks to what happened that day. And he's on this camping trip with his friend, who's a doctor, and they're, I guess, just out hunting. The doctor's got to be back for surgery on Monday, and I thought this was really funny, but it seems like a lot of, like, the doctor's admiration for him is that he's not having sex with his wife. (laughs) Right. Like, that's weird. Uh Yeah. But he says it. He's like, and and I, I first had a question mark of, like, 
was Doc's praising of Jim for not sleeping with his young wife? Like, that was mm-hmm. what the accolades were about. And then you get the thing later where yeah. the wife, you know, wrote him blue Writing notes. Him love letters. and Yeah. And uh, good for him for not acting on it. But, you know. I mean, I guess. Like, that's <laughs> that's a weird, like, base for a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Sounded but, like, you know, rough go. <laughs> yeah, so you find out yeah. through these flashbacks that um, the, these guys, you know, the two heavies rob a bank and they crash their car. They got $350,000 with them. Yeah, and it's in a black case. Which is a lot of money for back then. That's a lot of money now. That's true. Um, They crash their car and being good Samaritans, you know... Uh, Jim the Doc, they go over to help. And this is our first of, I believe, three flashbacks we get in the film. And they go to help him. They make a splint for the guy who has a broken arm. And then they get held up. And they get led back to their campsite. They're going to kill him. Mm -hmm. And it's the dumbest plan ever. Mm -hmm. Only something that Red could think of, I would think. Yeah, probably so. So they shoot the doctor in the back. Right. He wants to make it look like it's a... Murder, murder suicide. suicide from Jim or from Banning, basically. So, and then they tell Banning like, like here's this loaded gun. You need to kill yourself with it. Yeah, and it's like that's, I don't know, that's really dumb. It's not me. a great plan from Red. It's a really bad plan. Yeah, I agree with you. There. So, of course, he tries to defend himself, and Red shoots, you know, at him, yep. and. A rock bounces and hits him in the face. Yeah. So it makes it look like he dies. Right. Well, Red, does, could, Red doesn't do, you know, he's he just is satisfied with thinking the guy's dead. Two in the chest, one in the head. Come on. You got to use your head. Yeah. So they pick up the bag, which is the doctor's bag. Yep. So Wrong bag. Yeah. Vanny wakes up and he has this bag, not full of medical supplies, but money. Yep. And he runs off and hides it. Yep. Also, during this flashback is when we get our first shots of snow. This, So, I believe the film is take... The the beginning of the film takes place in L.A. The flashbacks mm-hmm. take place in Wyoming. Right. Yes. So, just thought I'd throw that out there. So, the flashbacks is, are when we get our first glimpses of, of the snowy noir. Mm, I do have a thing written... Um, it reminded me of No Country for Old Men with a dude just lucking into some bad money. Yeah, I, I will. I, I, I truly do believe this is a film the Coens loved a lot. As far as yeah, I think it is one that would have influence on. Oh, on like a few of their No Country is like a McCarthy book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure this did influence people. Sure. you know, in future endeavors. Um. <laughs> oh, okay. So it comes back up the the letters. So, okay, we'll slow down for a second. Yeah. Um, so Jim, he makes it to L.A., like he leaves his life behind. Yep. And he tries to get work, you know, in L.A., and he's waiting for... Changes his name. Yeah, changes his name. Yeah. He's waiting for the snow to melt. And meanwhile, he's being investigated by this insurance guy that works for the bank. And the insurance... name has been. Yeah, and he thinks that... Uh, Jim's innocent because played, he has a job. Played by James Gregory, by the way. And the idea is if you had $350,000, you wouldn't, like, you'd be spending money. You wouldn't be eating split pea soup right. and, you know, like, trying to meet deadlines and stuff. So 
all this is going on, he convinces Anne Bancroft, uh, Maria, you know, about his plight, and -hmm. that she is now implicated, and the mobsters are going to be after her. Right. Because, like, her address was in his pocket. And And he left that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's their only, like, tie to him. Right. So... They they all have this plan that the snow's going to melt and they're going to take a trip to Wyoming to get the money. We get this wonderful, like, I, I do like the scenes of tension, um, specifically in the apartment when he's getting her to pack. You also get a big exposition dump here. So he's talking about how he was implicated, where it did look like he murdered the doctor and just like ran off right they have these letters from the wife which i have a note saying the doc's wife was a bitch (laughs) yeah and so he's implicated in this murder that he can't go to the police because he has no proof because he dropped the money and the money is like buried in the snow so that's why he's waiting for it to melt like he doesn't want to spend it he wants to like bring it in as evidence yeah for this bank robbery yeah so that that's the whole plan um, you do get a scene later where she's at a fashion show because she's a model by trade. Yep. And I like the tension built in that scene. Yeah, I think that's a very good set piece there. Where she she keeps getting uh, calls to change and go out in new wardrobe. Yep. And all the while, the heavies are there watching yeah, her. Yeah, she knows that uh, that they're there. I've been talking a lot. What, oh, you're fine, Yeah. Man. How about you jump in? What, uh... Yeah, I mean... What about the middle of this film that you love? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I think, like we talked about, I, I enjoy these flash forwards. There is somewhat, like, as far as, like, under to, to let this story kind of work for you, it definitely takes a bit of just letting it play out. Because there are things that don't fully make sense. And I can truly get that. Because the whole thing that Red does... It, it is very ridiculous. Like, his, it's just a dumb plan, at first off. And again, not making sure the guy's dead. Mm-hmm. It's a dumb move. It is a dumb He's move. He's an idiot. <laughs> and that's, you know... But, you know, I, Red is just like... I don't know. He, he's a very cowardly character. Like, as, as the movie goes on with him, he's just like... I think he just enjoys, like, making people squirm. But, like, I think he's a coward. And obviously, I think that uh, that does him in. But I just I don't. I, yeah, I think he's the weakest character probably in the film. And, I agree. Um, but you know that that's what it is. I guess he doesn't but, really have any good moments of dialogue. which, yeah. You know, outside of Aldo Ray, the others do. Yeah. Um. You know, I, my like I said earlier, uh, my favorite part of all this middle is is that like set piece of, at the oil rig. Uh, again, I I just think it's uh, a very good. Very beautifully shot, choreographed, um, and other than that, like I, I, I don't know. I enjoy the flashbacks. So uh, it's 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 a very it's a very simple movie it in, is. in a lot of ways. I think there, you know, it, we'll talk about how story it goes, but it's that tells its story in a very complex way. Yeah, and I think what works for me so much for this movie, it, it's just I just enjoy. Turner's filmmaking so much. I mm-hmm. think again, I wouldn't say this is a great story by any means, and I, and I I agree with with your criticisms of it. I just I just I think I respect the filmmaking going sure. on so much. Is why I think I respond so much to the film. 
But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So yeah, you know, so we get we get that flashback. Um, let me look at my notes here where we're at. No, you're here. good. So our, our heroes, you know, hit the bus and go to Wyoming. Yeah, so like I was just going to say real quick, like I just talked about this. There's not a lot of subplots going on. It's very straightforward. Um, this is another, as I was talking about kind of like the deconstruction, I think this is another deconstruction maybe that I could make a positive point for this movie being so simple is there's not a lot of subplots and also like in a lot of noir usually we get some type of of like private eye investigator or something right there's none of that here the closest we get to something is like the insurance investigator which you know he's not even a main no character so like not again i think that's something else he's playing with maybe with the genre maybe i'm giving him too much credit and it's it's a super short film it's It's very breezy 79 minutes long yeah yeah so yeah you know we we find out that um they go to wyoming um because as we learn in the flashbacks like he's hid the well he didn't hit the money he dropped the money and he can't remember where he has an idea where it is but he can't remember the exact right location so all the while while they're trying to figure all this out We've got Ben who keeps spying on them and he realizes that they're going to go on a trip. So he follows them to the train station. He also gets himself a ticket to where they're going. Yeah. In between all this, we get the model show, the fashion show, and they escape the the two heavies there. And then everybody is basically what this ends up being is it's taking us all to Wyoming to have the final uh, confrontation. Yes. Basically. Uh, anything you want to add during all that? No, I'm, I you covered it. Um, you want to just get to the end of this film? Yeah, I, I kind of... I feel like the setup is super flimsy. It is a little flimsy, for sure. So, okay. So, they they get to where they're going to go. Yeah. Ben reveals himself to be an ally and tells uh, Jim that he believes his story. Yep. And he's going to join them. They're going to find the money and everything's going to be okay. Right. Now, the whole idea behind all of this is we have to make it there before the heavies do, because if the heavies catch us, they'll make them tell us where the money is and then kill them, right? They get there to where the money could be, and the guys are already there with the money. Yeah, they're in the shack. And they're just waiting for them. Yeah, we get the shack. That's super flimsy to me. The whole thing is, sure. like, they don't know where the money is. That's why they're waiting for them. So, like, how do they just know where the money is now? Yeah. No, that's, that's very good because, you know, the whole point of the movie is them trying to find him, yeah. beat him up, so he will tell them It kind of makes everything where the money is. kind of mute that, like, yeah. happened earlier. It's like, I what was that, the man. point? Sure. No, I, I, get, I get that. For sure. But outside of that, the ending's actually pretty cool. I like the set piece. Yeah, so we, we end up, like you said, we find the shack kind of in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. It's snowy. Um, those guys are waiting. The money is there. Red and John hold him and Marie and Ben, who has... They found Ben, mm-hmm. and Ben finally tells him who he actually is. They have a conversation, and Vanning tells him that, like, hey, this is what happened to me. Ben, at this point, is believing what he has to say because he's kind of understanding that not everything is adding up. So they go the shack. They hold him up. And basically, <laughs> Red's just being a moron again. And he, like, 
This is one thing that is always confusing to me, not in this movie, but just in a lot of movies in general, are when villains, heavies, thugs, whatever you want to call them, uh-huh. like, you ha- all you have to do is just kill the people. Right. <laughs> They're going to tie but them up and leave instead, them in a shed? Instead, you want to tie them up, you want to talk to them, you want to be like, this is what you should have done, or this is what you could have done. And right. Talk about the whole situation. Like, it makes more sense to me for that to happen in a Bond film because you're right. usually dealing with, like, megalomanic, um, sure. you know, criminal masterminds yeah. that have, like, lasers or robot sharks or something awesome. Right. These guys, like, can barely function as humans. Killing people in the middle of nowhere, like, what? what's the problem with that? Yeah. There would have been none. I mean, moral implications on, you know, normal people's right. behalf, but, but like, like them, the, they're the scum. Villain, the villain's point of view, it's like, all you need to do is kill these guys, take your money, go. And then they have this, like, there's this turn, like a betrayal, where... Yes, between John and Red. Yeah, which also doesn't make sense, because they're not building to it at any point in the film. It just happens. Yeah. So, just out of nowhere, you get a, oh, I don't like you, buddy. Well, I don't like you, guy. Yeah. And then go to, like, point their guns at one another, and then he shoots the guy in the back. Yeah. Red, Red. is the one who comes out on top. Right. Doing oh. doing red things. By the way, this... I'm a man of my word, if nothing else. To not leave the people hanging, this is where I wrote... Uh, the re- only other snowy noir is Nick Ray's On Dangerous Ground. Oh. There we go. Very nice. How good, about that? Good, good to, you know, fulfill that. But don't go anywhere, because... We're, we've got another film to talk about, so... Yeah, please stay with us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, all this this happens. It's kind of a strange thing. And, obviously, Red doesn't finish the job because... Because <laughs> he's Red. Uh, he's Red. Um, and, basically, like, I, I believe, is it Ben, like, kind of knocks the gun away. Something happens. Um, Vanning, like, takes a takes a run. Like, there's... all He while, dives out a window. Yeah. All this while, we... Also in the, like the background of the uh-huh. shot, we we know there's a snowplow right around, which obviously that's going to be used for something soon here. Mm-hmm. So, Fanning tells Ben, uh, well, no, hold on, let, let let me get my thoughts straight here. Uh, Banning slips by Red, so this is what happens. Uh, Banning shoots Red in the arm because he, he somehow get, he gets the gun. Yeah, Red jumps into the snowplow mm-hmm. while all this is happening. So then we have like an action little scene between Red and Vanning, both in the snowplow. It looks like some actually pretty cool stunt work probably going on, I think, anyway. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Agree to disagree. Okay. Um, Between those two uh, getting in the snowplow and the snowplow is coming towards the shack with Ben and Marie stuck inside the shack. They kind of fight between themselves. Um, Basically, Red ends up winning. Or, I'm sorry, Banning ends up winning, Red gets falls out, and Red basically runs him over. I'm sorry, I, I can't even talk right now. Banning runs over Red with the snowplow and grinds him up. Very gruesome. Yeah, um, pretty gruesome for the time. And Banning wins the fight, Red gets sliced up by the snowplow, and that's the movie. Um, one thing I will say at the end of the movie, which I think corresponds a little bit with Fargo, which we'll talk about, um, just they say this in different ways basically the line here is that bag full of money looks kind of small out there doesn't it mm-hmm. so that's their way of talking about the um the price you pay right right for wanting some money but i mean everybody kind of got off good you know yeah. vanning has got a hot new girlfriend yeah 
then had an adventure. Right. Yeah. They have money that, you know, has been considered lost. Yeah. Split that three ways. Yeah. Exactly. So, real quick, I just want to say before we get into Fargo, um, these are, I think there are some obvious, like, things that Fargo would, like, take from this, but, like, they're, they're two very different movies and how they're, they're set up, but I look at, like, kind of the two guys that are villains in this compared to the two guys in Fargo. I love the guys in Fargo, obviously, much more as characters. But I think it takes somewhat influence from that. I think it takes influence from the snowplow when comparing it to the wood chipper you would get in mm-hmm. Fargo. Obviously, it takes influence from a bag of money being um, buried under snow and people looking for said money. Mm-hmm. So I do think there are some interesting connections between the two films as far as that stuff goes. So... Quick question. Yes. If Vanny is played by Lon Chaney Jr., is this a better film? No. You think I Aldo love, Ray's better? I love Aldo Ray. Ugh. That's where we just don't see eye to eye. I just think that Lon Chaney Jr. is more sympathetic when he's playing um, a uh, a dum-dum. That's fair. No, I have nothing against Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, I just like great. Aldo Ray. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty bad in this movie. Whatever. Oh, also, I my final note, Red's the worst shot. Um, when he's shooting at uh, oh, yeah, he has a bad Jim, shot. it's like mm-hmm. from 10 feet away, yeah. and he just misses a bunch. Well, there's like a couple different times he has like clear shots of him and just misses him. Yeah. Like, there's that. Like, also, like, when he just misses him early in the movie, like, mm-hmm. when he has him tied up again. Yeah, like, career criminal is not something that he should be... Yeah. He met his... he, he His death was... Is what should have happened. I mean, he yeah. died a dumb death, which, you know, not every day you see a guy get ran over by a snowplow. That's true. And neither did we because of the code. Yeah. Yeah. We, we saw the after effects. But in my mind, it's gruesome. Yeah. No, it's pretty gruesome for the time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I enjoy this movie. I hope you liked it somewhat. Or maybe you like Kenneth Toby. Put Kenneth Toby in okay. the Aldo Ray part. Other than you hating on Aldo Ray. Ken Toby, he's the main guy from The Thing. Okay. I mean, that guy's obviously a much better talker with the Howard Hawks dialogue. No. Hey, I don't want to, I'm not going to let you talk shit on Aldo. Aldo for life! Yeah, there's a reason he went to TV. So. Oh, hey. Fargo! I like him, man. <laughs> well, oh, before we finish on, on Nightfall, I just oh, want to yes. say, pimp this out real quick. Uh. Arrow Academy put out a very nice Blu-ray. The sad part is it's only Region B, so for those of you who have Region B players, you can order it. But um, it's uh, it, I thought the, the presentation looked very nice. It has a book, it has commentary, it has essays. So if you are a fan of Nightfall, there is a edition out there. Did you like the song at the beginning of the movie? Oh, I love the song. Nightfall. Heck yeah. Bring that to me, man. Yeah. Um, Give me that. I don't hate Aldo Ray. We're no angels from what I've seen. He's very entertaining. Whatever. What? I'll take it. Fargo! All right. Well, let's let's talk about a movie we both can probably agree that we love the shit out it's of. It's a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. This is uh, obviously uh, directed by the Coen brothers. What year did this come out? Do you know oh, right 95, offhand? 95? 96? That sounds right. 96, somewhere did, in there. Didn't this lose to something stupid like English Patient? Was this... Joel or Ethan Cohen, both. Well, I know, but you know, one put. They can only put the one name on there. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. Joel for us, it 
you know. Technically Joel Cohen. You get wonderful cinematography from Roger Deakins. It's very nice. English Patient is not very good. That's a shitty movie. That, Argo is very good. English Patient. That is like the first, one of the first movies I can remember because it's one that my parents rented. And so like, I think I watched it when I was. The double tape VHS? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's one of the first ones I remember seeing nudity in. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, full frontal. Right. Yep. Yeah. That, uh. The Willem Dafoe's, he gets face all messed up in that. That's right. Like, all scarred up. Yeah. Yeah. That movie's not good. No. From what I remember. Yeah. But, you know, you had that uh, Harvey money. That's right. So, let's talk about a movie that should have won. Yeah. So, yes. Fargo, directed by the Coen brothers. Um, one thing right offhand I will say is uh, another thing that I think connects both movies very well, other than just being in the snow, is I think they're they're... Both, especially when Nightfall gets into Wyoming, they're both very desolated feeling movies. And also, like, as as you see, like, when you move from, like, L.A. in the first movie to Wyoming, uh-huh. it, it gets, it's a very um, big open spaces with, whereas then when you're in the city, it's, I think it's much more compacted and, uh, you know, claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to these more bigger areas, it just feels more desolated. And I don't know. I get that feeling in both movies. I don't know if you feel the same or not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how I feel about it. Would them. you also say there's like an underlying connection with Aldo Ray's simpleness and He's Minnesota? A simply simpleton. Oh, man, he would have been a great Minnesotan. Oh, Minnesota. I'm just joking. I'm, I'm done. Minnesota's Whatever. great. Whatever. So we start out... Uh, you know the the film is takes starts out in that I believe a bar called King of Spades. Right here we meet one of the best characters ever, Jerry Lundergaard. <laughs> yeah, played by um, William H Macy. Always excellent, William H Macy. Who's is his wife serving time right now as we speak? That's right. Rough go out there. Yeah. What do you th- let's let's talk about William real quick. What do you what, what do you think of him in this movie? Oh, he's wonderful. Um, him, Steve Buscemi, and Francis McDormand, like, they win the film. Like, <laughs> this might be one of the best casted films ever. Dude, and I also love, like, her husband, Marge's husband, uh, the guy who's in Zodiac. Yeah. As, you know, the creepy dude. Yeah. Um, I'll find his name but, in a second. But, yeah. yeah, and he, even Peter Stormare. Like, this is probably one of his best roles. Yeah, right? Peter's really good in this movie. Which, do they even say his name in the movie? I know his character's name is, like, Gair or something. I, to my... But to I don't me, think they say his name. I don't believe uh, Steve Buscemi or Peter Stormare's characters are ever actually said. Because basically all they go by for, like, Buscemi's character, they just call him, you know, either the a little, little guy yeah. or a funny-looking guy. Yeah. And then for Peter Stormare, just, like... The bigger guy. Right. You know, and basically we just, we only get these descriptions from ladies that they have hooked up with. Or, uh, you know, guys that they've, that they've talked seen at the to. bar. Yeah, the one guy mm-hmm. they asked about <laughs> the dude that prostitutes. Snow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a great scene in itself. But yeah, um, uh, the guy that plays uh, Francis McDormand's uh, husband, I believe, is. Uh, John Gunderson, Gunderson, Norm Gunderson, John Carroll Lynch. Yes, yeah, John he's, Carroll. He's Lynch. a very good character actor. Yeah, actually. yeah, man, he movie. he's really good in this film. But uh, man, I I like how 
the, this is another movie that the the story is very simple. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is. It, it like revels in the mundane, and it's like these people just get in over their heads. Yeah, and it's just the dumbest crimes ever. Yeah, no, it's and it's hilarious. That's one thing I think that the Coens do a good job when in especially in their like crime movies. Uh huh. Are usually when things happen. Usually a character will even say this at some point in the movie is like, what, why did all this happen? Or what was the point of this? Right. And it's usually just like, there maybe is none, but it, it adds up because it's just like people do dumb things all right. the time. It's just, and it doesn't make sense a lot of times. Like, so, you know, so Jerry hires these two thugs played by Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare to kidnap his wife. Because his wife's father yeah. is um, some sort of rich investor in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he owns the car lot that Jerry works at. Yes. And, um, you know, he makes investments all over uh, the country. And Jerry wants to invest money into a lot. And he doesn't have the capital to do that. And he doesn't think that her dad will give him the money for it. So if they kidnap her for a ransom, that he will give them some of the money and the rest of it he can use to invest in this yeah. lot. Which is a stupid plan in a like right. from the get-go. It's a dumb plan. Yeah. It's and he it's basically what he's he's I think the way they set it up is he's wanting eighty thousand. Yeah. And he said he'll split it with them like forty forty. Right. Right. My here's a question. I I was sorry to break this off a little bit, but do you ever under fully understand? Because this is something I... It doesn't really matter. I'm just curious. Uh-huh. Like, do you ever fully understand why William H. Macy is needing money so badly? For, to invest in the lot. Like, it, I'm, I just... I always have a hard time, though, like, trying to understand... Since his 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 father-in-law is so rich, like, there's why is a he line in the that, spot that so, he's in? So there's a line in the movie... Um, and I imagine, and I think it's added to, like, through very little moments throughout the film, I think that he feels demasculated because, mm-hmm. you know, he does work under her father, that right. he is living off of uh, of him. And I think he sees this investment in the lot as a way to, like, move away from that and mm-hmm. be his own man and support his family without her father's help. And when he initially talks about the investment at that dinner that they have where the father's there, um, you know, and William H. Macy says, like, well, this could be really good for us. And the dad says, well, his daughter and the kid don't ever have to worry. But he only says the two of them. He leaves William H. Macy out of that. Yep. So there is this underlying thing of like, maybe the dad doesn't like him. Maybe things are, you know, kind of on the ropes with that. Right. Um, But they just kind of like lay all these like cookies. And Jerry Lundegaard is probably the weakest, most inept man to ever grace the cinema. Yeah. 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 Hilariously so. Yes. But he does it so well. Yeah. So I think that's why he's wanting the money is to like, be his own man. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So, Jerry, uh, by the way, his father-in-law, I believe, in the movie, is his name is Wade. Yeah. And that's played by Harvey Presnell. You're forgetting that he's undead. 
See, I, I knew there was something, he's but riding, I... He's he's basically making out, like, a bunch of cars that don't exist. Yeah, oh yeah, that's what it was. It's like I just he, he, because you guys are forgetting. Right, he, he puts those, like, fake um, license plate numbers. That was another part I was going to yeah, ask you about either way. they keep but, calling like, saying, Jerry, you need to send those numbers over because I need to see them. I don't know if it's... I, and that's the one thing I don't think it ever fully explained. I thought he was doing that to get the loan, like he was going to use the fake money. No, I, you might pull up the... Um, so he's embezzling I think that, money. I think he was trying to make it look like maybe he was selling more than what he was. I don't know. I don't. A know. lot of it's not explained. No, it's yeah. really stupid. And it doesn't. Just, it doesn't sorry. have to be. I just... I'll I was, this out, but I just... Yeah. No, to, you should leave it in because no. it's really... Like, why is he wanting this money? <laughs> no, it doesn't... It doesn't really... It's like... It doesn't matter. I'm but now we have three of us discussing... <laughs> I'm just telling no, you... No, I like the, it. Leave it in. I'm just telling you that he is in debt, that's why he wants him to buy the lot. Yeah. It's still a stupid fucking idea because right. if he buys the lot There will be no gain on investment until years so down the road. Long. Right. It's, Jerry's so stupid. Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry, I just no. wanted to bring up that point. That is a big deal. Sorry. And we're not gonna talk about it any further and you're gonna leave this in. It's really funny. I know, but please finish your idea. Please the sound but the sound quality's not gonna be as good because I'm not in the room. <laughs> so you just need to I can cut out either way. So I'll cut all this out and just make you guys sound like stupid idiots. <laughs> but he's in debt. That's why he needs money. But, but it, it never says why he's in debt. It, well, it's something to do with the cars. I don't understand. No, but it never says why he's doing what he's doing. No, I know. I think he... Uh, that's why I just took it since he's so... It's MacGuffin. It don't matter. But I'm saying since he is so stupid... <laughs> he is very dumb. I think that it's like he made up a bunch of fake things that he's like, yeah, these sold... But he's just, he's embe embezzling, but he, he's a fucking idiot. Yeah, that was, that's always like, just that stupid. was, like, what, yeah, again, I know it doesn't matter in the movie, it's just it always, every time I watch it, I'm just like, why, why is he doing that when like, especially life. when like the license plate stuff comes up, like, what happened there? Like, why did he do that? Because they're like, why do you do they're it? like, you need to know, like, you have all the numbers on these cars, we need yeah. information on the cars. They're cars yeah, that the serial exist. numbers. Yeah, they're cars that don't exist. What's he doing out there? I don't know, but I just, sorry. Mm -hmm. After a brief deliberation, that's us going back in time. The reason Jerry is doing all this stuff with the money, he may be in some sort of debt because... The, the the guy keeps calling asking for the vehicle yeah. serial numbers. Which is something we'll probably get to after a while. But yeah, like, yeah, I, I forgot about that while I was asking that to you. Like, he, give, he gave somebody, like, fake license plate numbers. Like, and so, like, he's got all these cars that he, like, sold. But, like... Well, and I think he took out loans on them. Yeah, and so, like, he was wanting that money. Like, he got the money, but yeah. then they're like, well... Uh, we need those license plate numbers, but but like in the in the movie, he's like, no, that I, I already got the money, so you don't, yeah. you know. But they're like, no, we need those numbers, and they call him back like two or three times. Yeah, it, it is a thing to, and it feels like everything in the movie to do with Jerry, it's building this like this life stress on him to where you just see this like completely bitchy man just yeah. unravel on screen. Yeah, and it, like you say, it, like we both said, it, it really doesn't matter. We just we know that he's a dumbass and that he's he has made a lot of idiot choices and it, they're starting to build on him and this is just another one that just is adding on to where does he rank for Cohen characters for you? Oh man, one of the tops. He's up there. Of course, this movie has. I mean, 
so many good ones. It has. It could have like three of my top five. I mean, with him, Marge, yeah. and Buscemi's character. Yeah. I mean, all three of them, I think, are just completely genius. Hilarious. Not only in how they're written, but also how they give their dialogue and their timing and their rhythm. Like, is good yeah. stuff. I should probably do this, by the way. I know we're a little into this. I keep forgetting to do these things. I'm going to give you all a plot summary for any of those that haven't seen Fargo out there. What are you doing not you know, watching that or listening to this like right yeah, now. Yeah, don't you know? A lot can happen in the middle of nowhere. Jerry, a small-town Minnesota car salesman, is bursting at the seams with debt. He's got a plan. He's going to hire two thugs to kidnap his wife in a scheme to collect a hefty ransom from his wealthy father-in-law. It's going to be a snap, and nobody's going to get hurt until people start dying. Inner police chief Marge, a coffee-drinking parka wearing an extremely pregnant investigator who will stop at nothing to get her man. And if you think her small-time investigative skills will give the crooks a run for their ransom, you betcha. <laughs> you betcha. All right, so with all that being said, we kind of already have given you... Sorry for that detour, by the way. I, it was just something that was on my mind. <laughs> so the synopsis says he's in debt, but they never say that explicitly in the movie. Yeah. It's, huh. It's, yeah, it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we have we have that we have the initial setup, which I think is it just the movie just starts out there, and I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, we also learn that the guy that hired um, that that sent Jerry to these two guys was a guy named Shep. Yeah. Um, who uh, he is an interesting character all in himself as well. So uh, anyway, so we get this opening. Um, we find out that they're meeting in right there in. Fargo, North Dakota. Uh-huh. Basically, this movie takes place between Fargo and Minneapolis, right. Minnesota. And so right off the bat there, like after that meeting, um, we kind of what I have wrote down is we get to meet kind of our two lead bad guys <clears throat> in Buscemi and Stormare. And the thing that I wrote down that one of my favorite things Stormare says in the whole movie, where is Pancake House? <laughs> he just wants pancakes so bad. That is really good. And Bushimi talks about like we just ate pancakes. Yeah, I want pancake house. So he just cares about pancakes, man. Yeah, that's all he really wants. Um, so from there we cut to that. We get to see more of Jerry's character in his workplace. So we see that he's a car salesman, and he's just talking about <laughs> a lot about Truco with two simpletons. <laughs> oh man, and that guy gets so mad. It's like, he you is. lied to me. You lied to me, this little underguard. Yeah. You're a damn liar. And I love that Jerry, like, goes to his boss yeah. and doesn't even say anything. Like, asks for tickets to a game and his boss just laughs him off. And then he comes back and he's like, well, we can knock $100 off of this. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah. He was he was not thrilled no, about that. Man, that was wonderful. Yeah, so that's good stuff. So we we really with within these first like the life of Jerry is so pathetic. Yeah, you really get a good sense of his character within that first fifteen to thirty minutes. Yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of know who he is. The most worthless human. Yeah. Other than that, you know, we, we see their home life a little bit. Yeah. Um, we meet Wade. We meet his wife. Uh, we meet his son. Uh, his wife is, uh, I believe her name is, uh, Jean and she's played by Kristen Rudbrood. And then we also meet their son, Scotty, and he's played by Tony Denman. Um, so yeah, we meet them and kind of just, uh, an everyday family, you know, in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, um, heavy accents, 
beautifully done accents. Yeah, oh yeah, all all the accents are very. I love how the husband and wife just call each other. Like in 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 every family you meet in this film, they just call him Han. Mm-hmm. Oh Han, hey Han. Anything else you want to talk about at this in this uh, kind of opening scenes here, man? I I think it's so funny. Do you want to just get into like what happens? Uh, yeah, so how they end up kidnapping. Yeah, they go to kidnap his wife. Jerry tries to call the thing off because, yeah. like they, he's told that they'll make an investment. And he gets excited about this, calls it off. Then he finds out that the investment thing is actually, like, they want to give him a finder's fee for bringing it to them. And he just wants them to give him free money. Right. Which they laugh off at him. Yeah. What's always great about the Coen brothers are in their dialogue, like, when they're really going, like... People will repeat themselves over and over, which is great. So, like, there's the, (laughs) the line where, like... He's Jerry's kind of stumbling over his words because uh-huh. he's really wanting them to like take on this project. Right. And you've got Wade's like I don't know if he's like his lawyer or if he's an assistant for him. I, I think it's his financial advisor. Financial advisor, and he just keeps saying over and over again, "We're not a bank, Jerry." Yeah, and he just keeps <laughs> telling him that Jerry just doesn't quite get it. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, Which, yeah. Jerry's a dumbass. Yeah. So basically, while this is taking place, if I'm not mistaken, at the same time, this is when the two guys raid their house. Yeah, and kidnap Jerry's wife. I call it. I called it a comedy of errors. By the way. Yeah, I mean that. That's this whole movie, man. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, they they get in there and she fights back, and it's, the whole like build up to that where she sees them at the oh, door yeah. and she's watching the TV yeah. and knitting, and there's not really a yeah. reaction until like they break the door. Yeah, like they come in, like they slowly come up through the the back. Like she's got yeah. like a glass door, like a deck or something back there. And all of a sudden she hears them and she's knitting and just looking at them <laughs> yeah. while they're coming through and like they're trying to figure out how to get in the house. And then finally he takes his crowbar and just smashes the door. And right when they do that, she freaking jumps and yells at the same time. I, I think it's maybe like a, like an actual human reaction yeah, of like, like disbelief. Is, is this happening right now? Yeah. Is, is this going on? But yeah, that happens and like <laughs> just, you know, Stormare and like Buscemi are just like they're not professional about no. anything they do, and like well, Stormare's brutal. Yeah, and like she ends up escaping like a little bit in the house, and like she runs upstairs into her bathroom, and there's like a window. It's kind of uh, pretty intense there. A shining situation. Yeah, you couldn't really make it out the window, right? And so she makes it look like she opened the window and kind of sh- hides in the yeah. in the shower, and Stormare like. She she bites him like downstairs yeah. before she runs upstairs and like he's looking for ointment and just searching through a medicine cabinet and like through the window he sees like the curtain move and yeah that's when they grab her well no <laughs> she, no, no, runs she, she runs out and falls right. down the stairs she runs and knocks out, herself out she runs out with a curtain yeah. over her and she can't see and trips and falls all the way down the stairs and then they just take her yeah it's it's a whole thing it's so it's really funny this happens then you get the uh, the triple homicide. They yeah. get pulled over because Steve Buscemi didn't change out the license. Yeah. And he tells Stormare, like, oh, I've got this. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, the cop is like, well, you need to get out and stuff. Because, like, he can, he hears, like, the lady in the back. She's making a little bit of noise. Right. And Stormare just grabs his hair and brutally shoots his skull. Yeah, massive, like, blood spurt right there. Very violent. Oof. It's real rough. Yeah. And just, yep. 
it's it's a rough go. And then like these high school kids drive by, yeah, you get, and you get this yeah. look on that kid's face, just like he's, <laughs> he's kind of a, a bigger guy, and he just yeah. like, kind of just stares this this very strange, strangely way. Talk about a wrong place, wrong time situation. Uh-huh. And so Stormare's like, well, this ain't gonna, you know, go. tracks them down. They yep. wreck their car, yep. and he shoots the kid in the back. And then shoots a, his girlfriend, I assume, in the face. Yeah. Like, in yeah. the car. Yeah. Pretty brutal. And then they head off. And that's where you get Marge's introduction. Yeah. So this is another interesting point in this movie, I found to be, anyway. We don't meet our, kind of our main protagonist until about 40 minutes into the film. Yeah. Which is interesting. About halfway through the I don't movie. have a problem with it. I just found it to be interesting. Yeah. Um, also, what do you think of that Paul Bunyan statue? Yeah, I actually wrote that down a few it's times. It's, like, yeah. ominous the way they yeah. shoot it. It's, yeah. like, always looking down, judging everything yeah. that's happening. It's very much they shoot at an angle, uh, I believe it's in Brainerd. Is yeah. the town that that's shot in throughout, yeah. throughout the film. It's and time pretty it, impactful. Yeah, it, it definitely feels ominous. Yeah. But, uh, she gets the call. Definitely. And you get this wonderful scene of her and her husband. And yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> she's got to go, he's like... You gotta have breakfast. Yep. And you gotta have breakfast. I'll make you some eggs. Yeah, that great, uh, that more of that great Cohen dialogue there. And I wrote down just Norm killing it. Yeah, gotta dude, eat a breakfast. Yeah. Gotta eat a breakfast. <laughs> Which, you know, she's pregnant and stuff. Like, it makes sense him being, yeah. you know. And yeah. I, I just love that. Like, Norm's a good husband. They, you know, they do that. And then she, you know, walks out the door and it stays there yep. on him eating breakfast. Yep. And then she comes back in because the car won't start. Yep. And I just love that, like, I feel like no frames wasted. Yep. But they also, like, they tell so much about their characters through just mundane, everyday life stuff. Definitely. And I find that's where you get most of your humor. I mean, the uh, dialogue is wonderful, but just yep. the situational stuff, Yeah. you know, it, it's great. It lets and these characters shine. They do a good job with that. You know, like, the Coens have been... I am not a person of this belief, but I've, I've heard a criticism that um, the Coen brothers make fun or don't always treat their characters in the best of light. I think in this movie, I think they do in a lot of their movies, but in this movie, I think they do a great job of like, even though these are small town people, I don't ever think they're making fun or putting or like making these characters seem like they're simpletons. Like, no. I think they do a good job of like... Showing care and love for these people, even though they live in a different part of the country. Yeah, I I don't agree with, like, I don't think that they, you know, disrespect their characters. I mean, you think about Marge, like, she's a, a pregnant woman who, like, ends up solving mm-hmm. a, uh, I mean, by the end of it, what, five, six murders? That's right. From, like, the same people? Yeah. I And you think, like... And this is something that I I wrote down to, you know, kind of compare it to, like, the film landscape at the time. So, early 90s, you have Silence of the Lambs comes out, right? Yep. And that kind of, like, shoots off all these crime thrillers that are super serious. Sure. And, you know, all these procedurals and stuff. You know, you have that fugitive, um, so on and so forth. And then this film comes along. And I think that there's a lot of parallels to Silence of the Lambs. To this in like the the way the investigation goes, yeah. uh, especially at the end of the film where and I know I'm just I'm jumping way far ahead. But since you brought that up, mm-hmm. Marge just kind of stumbling upon right. the, the, the cabin. Yeah. 
and like her figuring it out and getting all that stuff taken care of. It's very similar to the end of Silence of the Lambs where Clarice is just doing her interviews yep. and stumbles on to Buffalo Bill. Right. And I, I think that's interesting because, you know, you said that they're making fun of these characters, but Clarice is presented in that movie as like a brilliant young FBI agent. Sure. And Marge is this simple yeah. sheriff right. and stuff, but they both get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. No, very good point. Uh, another thing I always also always enjoy, like, I, I think you talked about this a little bit, but like the little details that the Coens give you and their characters, but, um, in particular during the scene where she's leaving, um, after they've had breakfast, uh, she calls her cop car, uh, her cop car, a prowler, mm-hmm. which again, they call it a prowler later in the movie as well. So yeah. I, I enjoy that little detail there. I think that's, that's kind of fun. We find out Marge is chief of, uh, Brainerd. Um, and that's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, she basically, she goes to the scene, finds out three people have been murdered. One being a state trooper. <laughs> yep. Seemed and, like a nice guy. Right. Seemed like a nice guy. Um, there's a, there's a fun little scene where she, she's finding out about the lady that has been shot in the face in the car. And after she like kind of investigates and everything, there's a moment where, she almost gets sick. Yeah. And she's like, are you all right over there, Marge? I think I'm going to barf. <laughs> and then she almost does. She's like, ah, just morning sickness. It passed. I'm yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just like that. I like her character a lot. She's great. So that's, you know, kind of, they find out about that. Um, during all this, uh, next we have more on Jerry. Um, uh, so we get to realize or Jerry tells Wade about what has happened, that, that his wife, his daughter, Jerry, or Wade's daughter yeah, has been since kidnapped. Yeah, it's happened, he's, like, playing into right. the role. Yeah, and what, probably Jerry planned this, I would think he did, but maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but early in the film we find out, you know, it was going to be for 80000 Now he's telling Wade they're wanting a million dollars so he can get more money out of the deal. He's hoping um, in exchange for his wife. Um Oh, a couple things also during this time, you know, obviously Jerry tells his son Scotty about what's going on. We get a glimpse into Scotty's room and I just wrote this down. Uh, This has no, um, has no meaning or anything. I just liked it that Scotty has a white snake poster in his room. So I really enjoyed that. And he has an accordion king poster on his door. Yeah, that was... That's a good one. Rock on Scotty. So anyway, yeah. Next, uh, another thing I want to talk about is this scene... Earlier we had where Bushimi and Stormare go to a bar, meet up with some ladies, uh-huh. have some sex times. Sure. Um, we have, we get, we re-meet these women <laughs> and Marge goes. Yeah, she goes to interview to, to do some questioning because she finds out about what kind of car they were driving. Uh-huh. It didn't have plates right or registered plates. Right. So she goes to talk to him. Again, this is, this is the first time we really get someone trying to describe these guys. And one of them just talks about Bushimi as being, uh, you know, he's a funny looking guy. Yeah. Uncircumcised. Right. <laughs> funny. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I really liked uh, just, just this there. That's a great scene. Yeah. I'm just, just, just describing how they look. So yeah, I just, you know, great combo. Oh man. A, a scene that I love before Marge goes out on her expedition. It's at the buffet. Yeah. I love just her and her husband yep. have like three plates a piece. That's right. Yep. Oh, uh, it's so good. I'm pretty sure I wrote something down. Oh, I did. I, I wrote down Marge at the dinner buffet, queen. 
<laughs> that's, that's all I needed to say right there. Yeah, much respect for that. Yeah. Um, also, like, so we... This is kind of obvious stuff, but I, but in a way, I, I like what they're doing here. So we start getting some scene, some like shots earlier, in, uh, just a little bit earlier. Um, there's a scene where Marge and uh, her husband have lunch together from Arby's. Yeah. And they didn't have curly fries. That's right. That is a bummer. You always got to get the curly fries. That's weird. Yeah. But while she's out, she gets him some worms. So uh-huh. because for his for fishing or whatever. Sure. So we start getting these this kind of um, these these images these about with with worms and beetles coming up and a little later we get this image of like a show that i think marge's husband is watching of like beetles yeah, um, the, eating the worms uh-huh. so it's it's kind of just this meaning of like the beetles carrying the worm to its nest where they feed off the young basically i th- i think we're getting what they're the text is telling us about how the bigger try to feed on the wheat. It's obvious, I think, in the way it's showing it, but I, I like what it's doing in the text there. Okay, af- after kind of all that goes on, next we get to meet one of my personal favorite characters in the movie. Okay. This would be Mike Yamagata. Oh, my. <laughs> Maji. Mike. I probably said his name wrong. Yam- Yama- Yamagata. Man, I, don't, I love him, though. I laugh when he's on screen. Not well, that from, whole scene is so cringy. It is. What? Okay, and... You know what I forget about this scene is I think I forget it every time I watch this movie because really? <laughs> when I, and the, the reason is it happens it just kind of happens right right you get this phone call to Marge in the middle of the night and Mike is just like you remember me you know and obviously we find out they went to school together and they they end up you know Marge is a very nice person right and she meets up with him I think every time I watch it I'm like why is this in here. But then you realize a little way, a little later, it has a very big meaning, I think, for understanding Marge's character. Because what happens with, with Mike is, you know, he tells her that his wife has recently died from cancer. Uh-huh. And he's very lonely. Right. And Marge feels sorry for him. She she believes in people. Sure. I, I think is what is one of her character traits in this film. And so she's, like, feeling very bad for her. Like, feeling very bad for Mike, while at the same time... Mike is trying to have comfort and also trying to hit on her, hoping that she will feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. And so what we learn later on in the film about Mike, the lady he claimed to be his wife never died. No. Right? And so what I think that does is... For and he's not married. He's living he's in not his married. parents' basement. Yeah, so he was just looking... He, he was looking for sympathy and a hookup, mm-hmm. right? So it was a move. And so... Well, and it's because he saw her on TV. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it, it's kind of interesting in that it's almost like that... Uh, almost like a class reunion type thing of like... Yeah. She's kind of hot shit now. Right. Like compared to like, you know, he's somebody who... You know, lives in his parents' basement yeah. and thought that, like, making a reconnection would yeah. add some relevance to his life. Absolutely. I, I just, I think that scene, like, when 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 she finds out that he wasn't being honest with her, uh-huh. I think that opens up a little bit for her. Maybe I should not trust people as much as I do. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just like that little character bit. Because for as, as much as I thought at first, why is this in there? I think it is very rightly placed in the movie, and I think it has a lot to do with, with yeah. her character and kind of the growth of her character in the film. And it's a hilarious scene. It is. It's it's great. Mike, you're great. Um, so, uh, during all this time, also, like, I don't want to not, real quick, Steve Park is, that is Mike Yanagata. 
Yanagita. <clears throat> Whatever. Okay. So anyway, during this time, like while when she meets Mike, there's kind of like a series of events where she, where Marge we see is just ha- meeting up with different people, trying to trying to do all the figure out these steps in sure. the process. So we get this meeting where she meets up with Shep Proudfoot. And she kind of is questioning him about what's going on. Which sets him off. Yes. And that leads to its own series of events. Then we have Marge. And then she meets up with Jerry for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, find out <laughs> what's what's going on there. And we have, after that, Jerry tries to call Shep. Understand what Shep told him. that What Marge asked him. So we have that. Then we have Mike and Marge meeting up, which we just talked about. So it leads to a series of just like kind of Marge going and doing some detective work and in between meeting up with Mike. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all all of the scenes are great. There's not a second waste in this film. Good stuff. I also just nice little aside, the little soap opera that uh Stormare's watching. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Campbell. Heck yeah. That's pretty awesome. He's just enjoying being out in the woods, eating some TV dinners. Yeah. Watch watching over this this random lady. Yeah, screaming variety. Yeah. Um Steve Bushimi does like all the stuff after that. Yeah. Stormare just sits there, man. He just mm-hmm. he takes it all in. Bushimi basically does everything. Um at this point, Bushimi goes to another lady of the night, mm-hmm. has has some more uh sexual times. And while this is happening, Shep uh, busts in on Beats him. Beats the hell out of him. Strangles him. Takes his belt, just whips him with it, <laughs> strangles him with it. And I mean... It's brutal. Bushimi gets crap beat out of him. So, yeah, rough go for him. So then he's all pissed <laughs> off. Then he wants to get this deal done. Yep. And it's like, no, it gets done tonight. Is it right after that they go to the top of the parking garage? Yeah, I believe so. So they go to meet the hand, yep. do the handoff, and um, Jerry's, Jerry isn't yeah. allowed. Like, Wade... Puts him out of the deal. Yeah, Jerry's supposed to be the one that meets him, and Wade's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. And then Wade's got a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Bushimi's pissed. He's like, this wasn't part of the plan, you know, and obviously Wade's like, where's my daughter? Yeah. And he's like, I'm not going to give you the money until you give me the daughter. They have this back and forth combo. And he goes this- to pull a gun. Yeah. And Bushimi just blasts him. And then stands over him, and then Wade shoots him in the face. (laughs) Right in the cheek. Hilarious. Rough stuff, man. Yeah. It's it's, so, so nasty. It's very good. And, like, Bushimi loses it, unloads a whole clip of his pistol on him. And then shoots the guy that's manning the gate. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, Bushimi just goes off. He's having a real bad Yeah, you get this nice cut of where Jerry's driving into the lot, Bushimi's driving out, and the the gate guy is just staring at him, and he Shimmy's <laughs> holding his cheeks like open the fucking yep. gate. And then the next time you see that guy, he's dead. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So yeah, all that happened. Jerry loads Wade up into his car, like yep. doesn't even report it. Nope. <laughs> what an idiot. Yeah. So, uh, that all that good stuff happens. The next scene that is also I love I love every scene in this movie by the way obviously, but um, we have a conversation uh, between. A cop and a snow shoveler, um, who we talked <laughs> yeah. about earlier. This snow shoveler works at a bar that our two um, main baddies have been at, and it's a very funny combo or conversation. Um, basically, this shoveler just tells them about Steve Buscemi and how he's a funny-looking guy, repeating mm-hmm. dialogue again, and it kind of leads a little bit closer to finding out 
who's who and right. where it will eventually send Marge out looking for these mm-hmm. guys. That goes on. Uh, Bushimi finds a remote location. At, so he has the money at this point. Yeah. This is where we get the money. Well, and he finds out it's way more money than... It's a million dollars, much more than what he thought they were getting, 80000 Uh-huh. So he finds a little area that is very vacant in the snow, like, and there's fencing by it. He buries it and has, like, a little um, ice scraper yeah. and sticks it into the snow so he can... Hopefully remember. Which is the plot device for that wonderful Asian film from like a few years back. What was that? That's right. Um, uh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember for the life of me. I enjoyed that movie. Uh, we can get back to yep, it. Yep. Yep. Someday. Um, Someday. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. He hides the money and basically, oh, during this time, this is when Marge finds out. I know I already talked about this. I had it written down anyway. Marge finds out that Mike lied to her about yeah. his wife. Like I said earlier, shows a char- character trait in Marge believing about believing the best in what people are selling her. Um, this opens up a trail for Marge. So mm-hmm. Marge goes back to talk to Jerry about the stolen car again. And at this point, um, Jerry is in full panic mode. And um, there's a line <laughs> when she comes back and Jerry... Uh, says, oh, what the Christ. I enjoyed that <laughs> line a lot. <laughs> and then, then, like, Jerry, he said he'll be right back, and he just flees the scene. Uh, yeah, she, go, she stands yeah. up and is like, oh, oh, he's fleeing. He's fleeing. Fleeing the interview. That's what she says. <laughs> he's fleeing the interview. So he leaves. Uh, <laughs> How's this dial out? <laughs> That's right. Yep. Um, so that happens. Yeah. So next, we get kind of the, the final confrontation between uh, Bushimi and... and uh, uh, Stormare. Yeah, Stormare's just kind of chilling. Uh, you find the wife's dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess he killed her because she wouldn't stop screaming. Yeah, and I, I actually, I love this touch. Like, that's something that few people would do, but the Coens do. It's like, right. you don't know how she died or that she, she's just dead. It's There's just, a lot of things you know? that you don't know in this film, yeah. but it doesn't matter because... Right. Like, it plays so fast and entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful. So, Jimmy yeah. gives him his kind of the money, but says that he's keeping the car, yeah. mm-hmm. which they got from Jerry's lot, yeah. because he got shot in the face, and he deserves it. Yeah. So, that sets Stormare off. And so, I think that's reasonable from Bushimi's character. Oh, yeah, he like, got shot in the face. And he's done everything. I think is being a little, little disgruntled right there. He's very disgruntled. He comes out and smacks him with an axe. He takes an axe. Yeah, just lets him have it, man. <laughs> and the next time we see him, he is processing Bushimi's body in the wood chipper. In a wood chipper. Yep. He has a... You see Bushimi's leg sticking out of it, and he has a piece of log or wood, and he's just, yeah. like, shoving the leg down into the wood chipper. And, yeah, at, at this point... Um, Marge has figured out where they are. Yeah, she sees the car because yeah. she's looking for the car specifically. She is, yeah. And she sees it and she comes right in the middle of the act of Stormare. Yeah, gets, Stormare just yeah. runs off and gets shot in the back. Yeah, shoots him in the back. Basically... Well, he gets shot in the back of the leg because he gets the arrested. Leg. Yeah, he does get arrested. Yeah. Put in the cop car. Oh, and yeah. this is where, like, we get... I, I read a little bit of the dialogue from the end of Nightfall and here we get a different take on that dialogue. Um, and basically, Marge says, and for what? A little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more to life than a little bit of money. I just don't understand it. Which I think is a good uh, 
dialogue for the film itself. Well, and you you got to think about like for Marge, all she knows about is the eighty thousand. Right. There's still nine hundred and twenty thousand yep. dollars buried in the snow yep. in Minnesota. Yep. That's like right. it, it's a wonderful, it's uh, there. wonderful MacGuffin. Yeah. Um, I love that the movie ends. Not with the end of, like, the crime. It doesn't yep. end with, like, Jerry getting arrested, which he does because right. he flees the scene. Yeah. He's, like, living in a hotel, which, like, what happened to Scotty? I was gonna... I, I wrote down the <coughs> same thing. It's like, <laughs> what happened with Scotty? Because, like, so has he just lived in their house by himself? Like, his grandpa's dead. His mom's dead. Maybe he lived with the banker. That... Yeah. The banker took... The took financial <laughs> guy. Yeah. So, I love that it ends with Marge returning to Norm... And yeah. Norm's, like, she did all this stuff, like, solved, like, a very serious case, like, multiple murders, and she comes home and Norm's complaining about mm-hmm. only getting the three-cent stamp. That's right. And she comforts him, and it's like, yep. you know, telling him, like, oh, that's good, a lot of people use the three-cent stamp because, mm-hmm. you know, when they, they get the wrong stamp, they need the smaller stamp for change. Yep. And I, I just love, like, that return to the mundane. Yep. Like, her just going back to normal. Back to life. I think this film's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the best films from the 90s. Yeah, it's 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 very good. I love it. it it's definitely up there. Whatever order you want to put them in, it is in, like, the Coen's top five. Oh, yeah, top five for me, too. Um, hands down. I mean... You Which know, makes it one of the greater films yeah. from, like, the last This is decades. a movie, like, you know, I've, I've probably seen it, I would say, seven to ten times in life. More probably. than me. I've probably only seen it, like, maybe four or five okay. times. This was one my dad loved a lot. Yeah. So, I, I've, I've seen it. But, of course, like, as I'm older, I've maybe only seen it a couple of times. But right. But it's one that I never get bored of or get tired of, like, watching it. You can always find something oh, us new talking? or interesting. Let's you know. talking about it like I would just watch it right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it has endless entertainment value, and it, I think it has a lot to say, and and just it's also just beautifully directed, beautifully scripted. So yeah, it's it is a masterpiece. So photography by the Deeks. That's right, Roger Deakins. Shout out. What what? So yeah, uh, good time, man. Yeah, this this was fun. Uh, I think we had a a good time talking about these movies. Yeah, I so. I don't think we have anything in the can. Right, or at least anything upcoming in the can. Yeah. Um, so the thing to look out for is we are wanting to do a Friday the 13th special on Friday the 13th. So you're getting a lot of us within a matter of a few weeks. Yeah. Um, so this should close out November. Yeah. And then after that, you know, maybe some holiday funds, maybe some other stuff we've been, you know, bending about uh, maybe a project here or there. Yeah, we'll see what happens here. Got some stuff in the works, hopefully. So this has been a lot of fun. Before we sign out, you can find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud at Cinema Parlor. You might find us on Spotify. If not, we're going to be there soon, if not yet. Also, shout out to uh, Melanie, our excellent uh, producer and our editor. You can find her at Plastic Werewolf on Twitter. You can find us at Twitter on Cinema Parlor. You can find me at Chuck Madden Jr. on Letterboxd. Esclover84 on Letterboxd. And, you know, rate and review us, please. We could use any of the support. And even if you don't like our show, you could still rate and review us. It helps. So download the show. And thank you so much for listening. And, uh, you know, it's been real. I bid you adieu. Goodbye. <laughs>